We're going to look at Moses' life. And, and, and actually, I, I've entitled this message, and it was really hard to write on paper because I'm telling you, Moses is a hero of mine. And the title of this message is, What Could Have Been? Just What Could Have Been? I mean, it's like one of those hero stories that we watch, whether it's like NFL story, you know, an NFL life or 30 for 30 or something like that, that a sports star or an athlete, a, a, a business leader or something towards the end of their life didn't make the goal, the, the achievement that, 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 that was there for them. And so this is a little bit about Moses' life, and we're going to journey through this. We're going to understand that. See, Moses learned at the edge of the promised land the second time, Moses learned that the most important sin for him to deal with is his own. And I would tell you this morning, the most important sin for, for me to deal with or for you to deal with, guess what, is our own. Not our neighbor, not our spouse, not a child, not a supervisor, that we just see Moses learned this that day. And Moses was this great man of God, and many of us know the story. And Moses walked by faith, and he achieved a lot of things, right? But Moses had this one ongoing issue that followed him his entire life and his entire ministry. And we looked at it last week at the start of his life. There were times that Moses allowed his emotions to control him. Fact is, Moses had a trouble, a problem with anger. He had a trouble, trouble with his temper. And his temper and anger or getting out of control caused him some problems all through his life. And so now we pick up the story, and Moses is like 120 years old. He's at the end of his life. He's at the end of his ministry and serving God. And in a moment of anger, he loses his temper. He brings disgrace on his, his, his self. Uh, he hurt the testimony of God. And as a result of that, he didn't get to enter the promised land. Numbers chapter 20 opens with the Israelites, and they're right up against the, 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 the border of, of, of the promised land. And remember, they, they had been here before. 38 years prior to this, 38 years before they had been there. Remember, and the, ch the, the children of Israel got up, they're up to the promised land. They're ready to go in. They send 10 spies in, right? And the spies come out, and two said, guess what? There are giants in the land. The land is flowing with milk and honey. The cities are well fortified, but guess what? We can take the land because God is with us. And the other eight said, no, we cannot do it. There, the, the cities are too fortified. We cannot take the cities. The, the giants are too big. We cannot do that. And as a result, the people got discouraged, and they didn't want to trust God by faith. And as a result, God turned them around, and for 38 years, they've wandered in the wilderness. And you can read the experience, Numbers chapter 15, all the way through 20, if you want to read the, the wilderness experience of the children of Israel. And now Moses is up against the promised land again. And he didn't want to spend his final years not accomplishing what God had asked him to do. But he didn't want to continue to wander in the wilderness either. As he led the people, if you follow the story, as he led the people in the wilderness, no matter what God did, no matter how God met their needs, the people continued to complain. And they complained about Moses and they, whether he was really a man of God and he was following God and he was someone that they should, and, and all of those things. And maybe Moses never processed out the hurt and the pain in his life. And the bitterness began to grow in his life. And please remember, there's a whole new generation in charge. Remember when they got up there the first time? And then when God turned them around, everybody 20 years of age of older has died out. There's only three people 58 years or older in the group. Moses, Joshua, and Caleb. 
which means that a lot of people had no frame of reference of the Red Sea and, and, and out of Egypt and all the miracles and the plagues and everything else. And so God is leading them back to go into the promised land. And the people, the people have a legitimate need. The people have a legitimate need, but their focus wasn't on their need. Their focus was on attacking Moses. There's a lot of times, right, if we're honest, that when we have a need in our life, when we have a need in a family, when we have a need in a situation, if we're not careful, we'll attack a person and not attack the problem. And so they start attacking Moses, and they need, needed water, and Moses knew God always has provided for us. This wasn't the first time that they had a need of water, but they're, they're attacking Moses. Oh, and please remember, Moses has just buried his sister Miriam. She meant a lot to him, and they were close. So now then Moses is dealing with some, some personal pain. He doesn't have a lot of emotional margin left, and now he's having some pain in ministry and some pain in life. And you look at this, and Moses is probably going, I cannot believe this, not again. We're up against, we're ready to go into the promised land, and it, it seems like it's like, as Yogi Berra would say, it seems like deja vu all over again. I cannot believe I'm having to go through this again. And you watch Moses, you watch Moses go through what, what counselors and psychologists tell us. There's five stages of anger. And you watch Moses go through quickly all five stages of anger. The first stage, just so we're tracking, and we can see it in the text when we read it, the first stage is just, you know what, it's just an irritation. It's just those daily irritations that we all got to deal with, whether it's COVID restrictions and changing of COVID restrictions, whether it's supply chain issues to where you can't get that thing you want or that you go to the grocery store, they happen to be out, or it's lack of employees, it's a lack of customer service. It's just those constant unpleasant experiences. Fact is, this last week, I watched it right before my very eyes. I went to the pharmacy to, to pick up a med, and, and I'm behind this, 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 this man in front of me, and it became his turn, and he went up, and he said his name and, and said he needed to pick up a med, and they didn't have it in the computer. And so this man started walking through these stages, and so this man got really, really upset, and he got irate, and he, they're like, the orders aren't even, aren't, aren't even here. And then as they're talking, they go, oh, it just came, it just came across. Your med came across, and he says, we have it. But we're not, it's an antibiotic, and we're not going to be able to fill it, and you won't be able to pick it up till tomorrow at 11 o'clock. And this man is irate. He felt like they should be able to fill it right then. And so, and then he's yelling, and he's like screaming, and supervisors are coming over. And by the way, just a side note, I learned a whole lot about a bladder infection. <laughs> I know this. I do not want one. Because, I mean, this man was like oversharing in line. And so he was just, I mean, those irritations. And the second stage is this, is indignation. That you could move from irritation to indignation. It's just a reaction to something that you think is unfair, unreasonable. That was this man. He thought they should be able to feel it immediate. He didn't think he should have to come back. And so that was this man. And so there's irritation, there's indignation. Then there's this issue of wrath. And that's just a strong desire to avenge or strong desire to fight back. It's said that very seldom does wrath go unexpressed. And then if not in check, it moves to fury. And fury suggests violence. It's like this momentary loss of control or this, this momentary loss of sanity. And then, then the final stage is just a really dangerous form is just this issue of, just this issue of rage. 
Maybe you've seen road rage, like on I-25, right? I was traveling I-25 here a while back, and someone was behind someone in the fast lane, and he didn't think they were going fast enough in the fast lane, and they weren't getting the hint when he was on their bumper. This man literally changed and got in the emergency lane, passed them in the emergency lane, came in front of them, locked up his brakes. I mean, smoke's flying. Cars are flying everywhere. He put himself in danger. He put everybody else in danger on I-25. Why? Road rage, just road rage. Moses now has wilderness rage. And Moses has come to the party. He's walked all through the, all through the steps. And now he's coming. Listen, I'm telling you, this is a sobering text to preach. And we're going to understand this and we'll reconcile this. But it's also a reminder to us just a life of what could have been. And Moses is a life of what could have been. So I want to give you three things, and then I'm going to come up with some life applications, just three principles. The first principle is this. God gives us direction from his word, not our feelings. God gives us direction directly from his word, not our emotions, not our feelings. There's a lot of times that it was Moses' emotion that was driving him and not God's word. So we'll go all the way back to Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush experience. And we'll just grab that and see how God spoke to Moses. And so Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, it says, And the Lord said, I observed the misery of my people in Egypt. And I've heard them crying out because of their oppressors. And I know about their suffering. And I've come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So in other words, God is answering their prayer request through Moses the territory of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the, the Hivites and the, the Jebusites and all the termites. And so all of them. <laughs> Verse 9. So because the Israelites cry out, help has come to me and have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore go, I am sending you to Pharaoh so that you may lead my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So God spoke directly to Moses. Today we have his word. But in those days, God spoke directly to Moses. Numbers chapter 20, verse 7. When we open this chapter, it simply says, The Lord spoke to Moses. I mean, you can go all the way back. You can go all the way back through, the, through Moses' life. Exodus chapter 17 they came out of the land of Egypt, and the people began to complain because they had a water issue. This wasn't the first time they faced this issue. fact is they faced this issue three different times, but this is the first time this group of people had faced the issue. But all the way back in Exodus chapter 17, they have a water issue. And in this time, in this instance, God told Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your staff, and I want you to strike the rock so the water will come out. And this time, when, when, they're, when they need water, God tells Moses, we'll read in a second, this time I want you to speak to the rock and the water come out. That was Moses' issue. And so when you look at this, you realize that God doesn't always work the same way in every season. Can I just tell you, maybe God wants to do a new thing in the church in the season that we're in. Maybe God is trying to use the circumstances, situations that we find ourselves as a country, that God wants to do something new and different in the church. I hear so many churches, I hear so many people talking, we just want to get back to normal. We just need to get back to normal. We just need to get things. Maybe God doesn't want us to get back to normal. Maybe God wants to do something special in this season. 
of deepen us in prayer and deepen us in faith and deepen us in what it means to serve one another and serve a community. Deepen us in, in depending on him. What if he's trying to help us and he wants to do something new? Man, I'm here to tell you this morning, whether we have 200 or 2,000 on the weekends, we're going to continue to do the same things we've done for 26 years. We're going to gather together. We're going to worship. We're going to open up his word. We're going to explain the text. We're going to serve one another. We're going to serve this community. We're going to serve the world. We're going to continue to baptize. We're going to continue to take communion together. I mean, this is what's happening in the church all over the world, right? I mean, right now, I could take you to Mimbezi, to the church that, that we built a number of years ago with the water well outside. Can I tell you, that's what they're doing this morning. They are simply gathering, and they are worshiping, and they're opening up the, the Scriptures and allowing the Scriptures to speak, and they're serving one another. And guess what? They are serving the orphans in their community with the resources that we give them, using the water well that we put in. This is what's happening all. What if God is trying to help the church say, I, in this season, instead of trying to get back to normal, why don't you see what I'm doing in this season and join me? Listen, our last worship night was unlike any other worship night we've ever done. God was doing something new in our midst, and you can ask people that were there, and that's not just preacher talk. I mean, I'm telling you, it was different. I had a conversation with a, with, a, with a lady in our church and a couple of weekends ago, and she walked up to me, and she, says, she said, Charlie, you're not, I just need to tell you something. I just finished the book by uh, Mark Batterson called Circle Maker and talk about this issue, this principle of just prayer walking and, and, and the power of that. And she says, you know what? God has led me, and I'm going to prayer walk our church. And God is raising me up to pray for this church, to pray for our staff, to pray for our community. I want you to be aware I'm going to prayer walk around this church and ask God to bless. God works. I think we just need to understand this. God works different way in different seasons. And so now God asks Moses, Moses, I know last time I had you strike the rock, but this time I need you to speak to the rock. There was a theological reason for that, and we're going to understand that in a few minutes, why that was so important to God. And then Moses, his bitterness and his anger towards the people came out. And he ended up striking the rock not once but twice. And then he called them some names. Look at this, Numbers chapter 20, verse 8. God told him, okay, Moses, I want you to take the staff. And so God went to Moses. Uh, Moses went to God for direction. So far, so good. And he said, I want you to take the staff, assemble the community. You and your brother Aaron are to speak to the rock while they watch. And while they watch is very, very important. And it would yield its water. You'll bring out water for them from the rock and provide drink for the community and their livestock. So Moses took the, st the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. So far, so good. Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock. So far, so good. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels. And listen, in the Hebrew, that's a harsh, that is a harsh, that's almost not even a church word. Uh, listen, you rebels, he was angry. Must we bring water out of this rock for you? And so what God had asked him to do, Moses, I need you to speak and I'm going to act. 
I don't need you to touch the rock. Why? Because this new generation of people have not seen the miracles. They have not seen splitting of the Red Sea and some of the other things and the plagues and the manna and some of those other things. And so, Moses, I'm going to need you not to strike the rock because I, I don't want them to think you did this. I want them to understand that, guess what? It is the Lord that did this. I'm the one that meets their needs. I'm the one that provides them. I'm the one that is going to go with them in the promised land. Please remember, Moses is going through a difficult time, right? I mean, he has a lot of personal pain with his sister Miriam that has just died. But it doesn't excuse his actions. Moses is still responsible for his words. He's still responsible for his actions. In a moment, he makes this all about himself. And he gets angry, and he strikes the rock twice. And you know what he was doing? Remember that phrase when he said, must we bring water out of this rock for you? You know what he's doing? He's taking credit for it. He said, must we, must we do this for you? He's taking credit for it. Oh, and that, that staff, it wasn't just any staff, any stick. That staff represented the holiness and the presence of God. And that's what he used to strike the rock. And Gene Getz is the one that points out and says that we are never too old. We're never too old to fail. And when I look at this, I realize that just like with Moses, that sometimes the passing of years can dull our sensitivity to the Lord. Because we've heard these scriptures over and over and over. And maybe we have just a little bit too much muscle memory. Maybe that's what Moses was dealing with. No matter how close we've been to the Lord in our life, no matter how many prayers we have prayed and how many prayers that he has answered, how many times we've seen God provide and we've seen God moved, how many scriptures that we memorized, how many blanks we have filled in and Bible studies that we have done, we have to realize that if we're not careful, we can kind of blow it in our later years. This was Moses' story. The second principle is this, is God's blessings are tied to our obedience. God's blessings are tied to our obedience. And so we're going to go all the way back, Exodus chapter 40, 14, uh, verse, uh, verse 30 and 31, to the, the, when God destroyed uh, Pharaoh's army in the Red Sea. Look at this. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians. And, saw, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the greater power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in him and his servant Moses. And God was helping to establish Moses in his leadership with this group of people that they could trust Moses and they could trust the, the Lord, that God is with them. In the moment before the, going into the promised land the second time about speaking to the rock, God was trying to do the same thing that he had done just a different way. And it was a turning point. The Red Sea event was a turning point for them when they saw God in the midst of their struggle. And so God wants to provide for you. He wants to meet your physical needs. He wants to meet your material needs, your financial needs, your emotional needs, uh, your, your spiritual needs. And in the midst of the struggle, God continued to meet their needs. Exodus chapter 15, 22. Then Moses led Israel on from the Red Sea, and they went out to the wilderness of Shur, they journeyed for three days in the wilderness without finding water. Then they came to Marah, and they could not drink the water at Marah because it was bitter. That is why it was named Marah. And the people grumbled to, Mar to Moses, what are we going to drink? So he cried out to the Lord. He asked God what to do. And the Lord showed him a tree. When he threw it into the water, the water became drinkable. 
the Lord made a statute and ordinance for them at Marah, and he tested them there. And so God was providing water for them, right? One time it was like strike the rock. Another time it was throw a stick in the rock or throw a tree, or a tr- throw a tree in the water. And now he's having him speak to the rock. God works differently in different seasons of life. And God continually provided for them. Remember manna? Remember, we don't even know what manna is. The Hebrew definition of manna is like, what is it? Uh, we don't even know. It was probably like some oat or something like that. We know it, it wasn't, didn't have any meat in it because that's why they wanted meat later, and God gave them quail. And so it's probably some type of an oat or granola or something like that that they'd make in a cake. That's where I got the biblical principle that, you know what, if you can compost your entire meal, that is not a meal. Uh, you need meat. You need meat on that plate. And so God was like meeting their needs. Remember when he met the needs with the Ten Commandments? And he was meeting their needs, and he wants to meet your needs, and he wants to meet my needs. And when you look at this, the children of Israel, they were always grumbling, and they were always complaining. It wasn't an issue that God wasn't meeting their needs. God just wasn't meeting their needs the way that they thought he should. And it finally got to Moses the third. And the last thing is this, is God, God's will is always met with God's provisions. God's will is always met with God's provisions. We'll just journey through this story. Numbers chapter 20, verse 9. So we're picking up the story. And it says, So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron summoned the assembly in front of the rock. And Moses said to them, Listen, you rebels, must we bring water out of this rock for you? Then Moses raised his hand, and he struck the rock twice with his staff. And so that abundant water gushed out, and the community and their livestock drank. But the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you did not trust me to demonstrate my holiness in the sight of the Israelites, you will not bring this assembly into the land I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the Israelites quarreled with the Lord, and he demonstrated his holiness to them. So God didn't punish the the Israelites, for Moses' action. God still had water come out. God still met their needs. But it does seem a little harsh, right? If we're just honest. It does seem a little harsh because of Moses' actions that he didn't go into the promised land. I mean, when you look at it, we can go back to Exodus chapter 3. Moses didn't, like, volunteer for this job. With the burning bush experience, God really kind of just drafted him into that whole thing. And then you start looking through his life, and, and he had been faithful to God and faithful to these people. And, but all of a sudden, a momentary mistake, a momentary lack of judgment, and Moses doesn't get to go into the promised land. Can I, can I just be real transparent with you? There were many years in my Christian life I had trouble reconciling this text. I preached this text twice in my younger years, went back, and I, and I just need to let you know it's pretty superficial, both types. And I want to help you reconcile this text and, and let you know Deuteronomy chapter 3, Moses begged to go into the promised land. And God told Moses, I'll let you and Aaron go up to the land, and I'll let you see the promised land. There's some things that I would just help you to reconcile this text and maybe to bear in mind. This was a public sin. This wasn't a sin just between, just between Moses and God. I mean, this was, a, this was a public sin. I mean, he set a horrible example for the children of Israel. 
Uh, this, was also, this was also a repeated sin. This wasn't the first time Moses got angry. This was the first time he lost his temper. I mean, he was, it's interesting. Moses was never able to get this in check in his, life, his entire life. Remember last week we looked at starting, his, starting the journey out when he was in his 40s and, and he got angry at a man and lost his temper and, and, and killed a man as a result of that. And so then when he was, like when he was 80, remember when Moses was coming down off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and he's coming down off the mountains and Aaron had led the people to worship the golden calf and Moses got really angry and what did he do? He yelled and screamed at the people and he broke the, the Ten Commandments to where God had to write it again. And so, and now then, now we come up 120 years of age and the people are complaining and he's having trouble reconciling that whole thing and he like loses his temper. So this, wasn't, this was a continual weakness in his life. He never was able to mature in this area of his life. I mean, this was, this was just a serious sin and the staff that he used represented the holiness for God. So, so I, just, I just want to give you a few things to apply to your life that I applied to my life this last week as we just reconcile this text together. One thing is, I just want to be very clear, this was a sin that was forgiven. It had earthly consequences, not eternal consequences. Moses wasn't able to go into the promised land, but Moses was able to enter heaven. And we know that, right? Because of Matthew chapter 17, remember, and Jesus goes up to the mountain, he's transfigured there. Who appeared with him? It was Moses and Elijah. So this sin had earthly consequences, but not eternal. He was forgiven of this, but there were some earthly consequences as a result of that. The second thing is this, self-control is essential for the believer. Coming to this place of having self-control is, is essential for the believer. If you're a person that struggles with self-control, don't excuse it. Don't brag about it. Don't say that was the way I was raised. That's how I was brought up. Understand that as Christians that we need to try to get that issue of self-control under control in our life. And actually, the Scripture says in Galatians, the way to only do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. I mean, Ephesians talks about this issue, how important this is in relationships. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, it says, And do not grieve the, God's Holy Spirit, who you were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, wrath, shouting, slander be removed from you, along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Another life lesson that we can look at this is just simply this. Character flaws or character weaknesses require constant attention. You and I have to know how we're bent. You and I have to know our weaknesses. You and I have to know our temptations. And there may be some of you that have, have some character flaws that we will have to deal with our entire life. You see this in Moses' life. He struggled with this issue in his life for 120 years. And you may have a character weakness of anger or a temper or lust or greed or language or gossip or slander or something like that. And you will never be able to let your guard down. Because given to yourself and given to flesh, you're going to be tempted to behave that way. And you and I may never reach the point to where we no longer have to deal with that weakness or that struggle in our life. I mean, you see this in, in, in people in Scripture, right? Like the Apostle Paul, what did the Apostle Paul say? 
After all the Apostle Paul did, he said, daily I beat my body into submission. In other words, I, I spend time with the Lord and through being led by the Holy Spirit. I have to do that daily. Simon Peter, Simon Peter had a vacillating personality, right? I mean, at one moment he's, he, he's, he's walking on, 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 on water and the next moment he's struggling with doubt. One moment he's telling Jesus, you know what, I'll go to the cross with you. I'll die with you if I have to. The next moment what he's doing, he's denying. I, I, I don't even know him. Even after Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit, you see it in Simon Peter's life, he still had to deal with that. Character flaws in your life, character flaws in my life, guess what? It's going to require constant attention. Another principle is this. Sin in the life of the believer has earthly consequences. But we can walk as forgiven people. That our actions may have earthly consequences but it doesn't keep us out of heaven, right? You see this with King David. You see this with others. And there's a theology, and we don't have time for it tonight, this morning, but there's a theology of reflection, and and James talks about that. I don't want to read these scriptures, and I have a quick story. We'll close. James chapter 1, verse 22, it says, James is writing. He said, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Because if, any, if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone who is looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person would be blessed in what he does. You know what this is? It's called, theologians would call this the theology of reflection. A lot of us have a habit in the morning, we'll read, we'll read scripture, we'll get a scripture and go about our day, get our verse for the day. The next day we read, our, read scripture, get our verse for the day, we go about our day. The next day we get a verse, we go about our day. And we never come to the place to reflect. And James is saying, If you want to give that weakness, if you want to give that character flaw, if you want to try to get it under control, then you have to come to the place to reflect. You ask yourself with that verse at the end of the day, God, where did I see you work today? God, where did I see your goodness? God, where did I sin against you in thought, word, or, or deed? And you ask for forgiveness, and God, if I get in that situation again, here's how I'm going to handle it. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to pray. I'm going to try to get it under control. It's the theology. It's the theology of reflection. God, how am I doing? How am I doing? It's an old preacher story that I heard when I came to faith in Christ many years ago, and I don't normally tell preacher stories, and, but this one really illustrates the principle. There's a farmer that had a son, and so he wanted to teach his son about the consequences of sin. So he told his son that, son, every day when you do something wrong, I want you to go to this fence post, and I want you to nail a nail in this fence post. And his son did that for over the course of a couple of weeks. At the end of a couple of weeks, the farmer took his son out there and said, now, son, For the next few weeks, every time you do something good, I want you to pull a nail out. 
And so a couple of weeks went by, and the son had finally pulled all the nails out of the fence post. And then the farmer took his son out there and said, you know what, forgiveness of sin is just like these nails that you put in the fence post. The nails are out, but the holes are still there. And he said, I just want you to remember, sin leaves a scar. And there's consequences to sin. And God will forgive you. He'll pull it out. That's Moses' life. His life is a life of what could have been from a brief moment. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes?